Hello and welcome to Good Film Hunting, the podcast for two sisters living in different parts of the country but currently sitting in the same room, talk with friends and family about movies that we love from our childhood. So I will let Eleanor talk about our guest and our movie. So today our guest is Dara Carroll, um, person extraordinaire, who I met almost 10 years ago, which isn't that crazy to think about? It's totally crazy. So anyway, Dara, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do. Even now, like, you're in the process of moving, so that's fascinating. Yeah, um, well, I know you, Eleanor, from our study abroad, but it is but it's funny that we met in Uganda because actually we grew up like minutes 10 apart. minutes away from each other. <laughs> um, so I'm originally from Chicago and then Oak Park, but am living in Boston teaching middle school and soon will be living in San Francisco also teaching middle school. It's great. What a dream. Love the teaching of the middle school. The Frisco Bay yeah. dream. And it's, uh, the heat index in Boston today is over 120, so I'm pretty happy about my decision right now, you will even never, though I hate moving. You'll never be that hot again in the Bay Area. And <laughs> no. It's also, but the most confusing thing I would say about the East Coast and Midwest is that it's both so cold and also so hot and yes. humid. Yes. And there's like yes. very little time where it's just nice. Yeah, there's very little yes. time where it's the perfect time to be outside. Yeah. Um, exactly. There's like a week or two in the fall and a week or two in the spring, and then otherwise you cannot be outside. Mm-hmm. Not at all. But that's about I'm to change for us, Dara. That's about to change. <laughs> Both of them are headed to the Bay Area. So much time outside. I can't so wait. So much time. Okay. So, we start uh, Good Film Hunting by doing what we call speed friending, which is where we're going to ask you, like, random things. Um, anyway, so, first. Awesome. What is What was the best part of your day today? Um, ooh, I think that the best part of my day today was when I walked back into my bedroom with the AC window unit in after leaving it only to go to the bathroom. That was the best part of it. Immediately returned into my air conditioned sanctuary. Okay. Perfect. Love. I sincerely hope you've been able to have a low key packing day or have only used the pack in your bedroom. Yeah. I have only packed in my bedroom. Yep. That's Good. So what is your favorite day of the week? Ooh, uh, definitely Saturday. Definitely Saturday. Because you don't get the Sunday scaries, Mm. and you get to sleep in. And the Sunday scaries are, like, very real for teachers. Like, I don't even know how to describe it to other people in other professions, because I'm sure that they're... But, like, something about having to, like, face all the children again is just way too much. It's real. It's real. Um, What is your dream travel destination, like, at this moment? Because we understand that's a changing answer. Um, I really, really want to, oh, where do I, okay, actually, I have to pick one, huh? Yeah. I I have two, Two, but I would love, um, I would really like to be actually, um, 
back in Nairobi right now, which is kind of boring because I, because of living there. But I was supposed to go back this summer, um, and it would be the first time I'd been back since we moved away two years ago. And then because we're moving, I didn't get to. Yeah. Um, so I was just talking to a friend who's there and having a big party this weekend. And so that's really where I want to be right now. <laughs> oh, I did it. So how long did you guys live in Nairobi? Uh, four years. Yeah, that's a long time. That's a long time. That's awesome. Yeah. So jealous. Um, okay, what is your favorite book? Uh, don't make me pick. Um, okay, that's a really hard one, but I think because I just reread it, um, and it's on my mind, and it's probably the book I've read more than most other books, is Paradise by Toni Morrison. Interesting. Wow, deep. I've never heard of that book. You've heard of Toni Morrison, correct? Yeah, but I've never read anything by Toni Morrison. Do you know if Toni Morrison is a woman or a man? I have no idea. I think it's a woman. <laughs> I think it's a woman, but I don't know. I could, I'm not 100% sure. Oh, my God. We're starting a book club in... <laughs> In the bay. Halfway between SF and Palo Alto. I, you know what? I'm really into it. We can go hiking and or rock climbing, something outside, and then talk about books we're reading. Great. I yeah. love it. Yeah. So I'll have to put that on my list. Okay. And then lastly, um, Daniel Craig or Daniel Radcliffe? Which Daniel? Oh, def- definitely Radcliffe. Why? Just Harry Potter? Uh, not a big fan of adult male blondes. <laughs> Who else falls into the category of adult male blonde? There's very few of them. <laughs> what a great answer. I did not expect that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not my thing. All right. <laughs> Dara speaks her truth. Okay. That's awesome. So then moving into the bulk of our podcast mm-hmm. presentation. Oh, yeah. So today we'll be talking about the film Save the Last Dance, which was one of several pretty much dance-related films that you offered <laughs> as, like, favorites from your youth. So my... They were f- all dance-related, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we can, like, delve into that. Oh, like, we're going to get into it. Dara as dancer. Um... <laughs> <laughs> or a dance film watcher. Big difference. Big difference. I guess, but also I dispute that because I think there's a level of desire mm-hmm. in the types of film that we choose to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay, so for Save the Last Dance, can you provide for us and for our listeners a brief synopsis of this film? So you can do this in a sentence or two, we've had people who go, like, really in detail and talk for, like, ten minutes on end. <laughs> or spend the full 30 minutes talking about the About book. just the plot. We're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. This is when we're both, like, two Midwest and we're not really good at telling people when to stop. Um, but, or you could do a haiku. Okay, practice on me and tell me to shut up when I need to. Um, we got it. Save the, I would say Save the Last Dance is a light dance movie because uh, the dancing isn't actually as spectacular as many other dance movies or as central. Um, the plot is a, basically um, white girl living in, a sheltered white girl living in the Midwest loses her mom 
um, moves to the south side of Chicago to live with her estranged father and starts getting hip-hop lessons um, from the cute boy at school and is adjusting to living in a community that is predominantly black and is in Chicago instead of in a small town um, and also is trying to fight her way into Juilliard while appropriating black culture all along the way. <laughs> That's amazing. Appropriating black culture. But it's true. Along the way. Oh, it's so true. Well, and one of the things that sticks out to me the most about this movie is it also features a young Carrie Washington. Oh my yes. gosh, that's incredible. Look at her. <laughs> and, but one of the points I'll always remember, particularly from middle school, even like rewatching this film, I never forget about it, is her talking about how, like, when Julia Stiles' character is complaining about her boyfriend and then. Carrie Washington's character being like, you got one of the few good ones. And like that, the problem inherent within that. Ugh. Okay. Yes. She said, yeah. It, and like, so the, the, um, element of race is really central in the movie. Yeah. And sometimes I think really interesting. And sometimes it's like, forget about race. Let's all be colorblind. The theme song of the movie, I realized rewatching it last night is true colors, which is wait, really there's just so much going on there. Um, yeah, that's the theme song they play. That's like the song they play whenever they're like, love doesn't see color. Um, which is sometimes the message of the movie, but sometimes the message of the movie is, uh, white people, you need to look at like how you take up space. Like there's this great character who says, um, it's, it's Derek, the love interests her the Julia Stiles character's Sean Patrick boyfriend's Thomas. ex. And yeah. she says like, the whole world ain't enough. You got to conquer ours too. And so there's these moments where you're like, oh, okay, we'll look at whiteness. And then there are moments where they're like, true colors. (laughs) It doesn't matter that you're white and doing up shit because you're in love with a black man and it's beautiful. So it kind of does both of those things. Right. Yeah. Okay, so that was like a lot. And I like am (laughs) really into it. No, I think that when I, like, it's crazy to me, but... And again, this is coming, we all grew up in similar areas, but I mean, River Forest is even more whitewashed than Oak Park. Um, even more whitewashed, I would say, than like the I west side white, of Oak Park. I don't Park. think whitewash is the correct term, though, because it was also, it was always a white space. That's true. Um, so what do we call it? Just a white space. Segregated? Like a white-dominated space. Yeah, it's a white-dominated yeah. space. And I just remember being enthralled with the dancing. Like, and yes, it was like, now I see it as like cultural appropriation, but I just remember being like, white girls can do this too. Where do you sign me up? I'm ready to hip hop dance. And that's not great. (laughs) But but I also remember, and I remember, yeah, I remember, um, like, my experience of watching it when I was in high school is very different than it was watching it again as an adult. Isn't that so fascinating? But that's with so many, that's mm-hmm. with so many movies. And it's, okay, so this movie was set up to be a Romeo and Juliet story. And one of the problems with using these tropes that we've mm. developed, these storytelling tropes, 
is we can say this is a Romeo and Juliet story, but what that doesn't take into account is like Romeo and Juliet were of the same like social, social, political, cultural, economic status. Yeah. And so to call something a story in line with Romeo and Juliet doesn't really make sense because we are taught as um, people who take in stories, who take in media, that this is what this story is set up to be, right? We're supposed to want these two lovers to succeed in any way possible. Um, And that triumphs over any consideration of individual circumstances. Right. Also, okay, this is just like a question for larger media out there. Why do we consistently go back to Romeo and Juliet? It's like a shit play. And I love Shakespeare. (laughs) But it's like, it's a shit plot. It's a shit play. Um, I just don't understand why we go back to it. Maybe it's just like so ingrained now. I mean, I think that, yeah, there's, like, the, yeah, maybe, and, like, the idea that, like, I feel like we love a story that has um, two people falling in love and, like, there being barriers to their love. Um, But interestingly, in this one, so I think one of the other cool things about this movie is that, like, it is... Uh, I mean, you know, she loses her mom and it's about that relationship, but it is really about being a teenager, although it was played by all adults. So, like, the people whose opinion she cares about when she's thinking about her relationship are her peers. There's no, like, her dad... Plays such a minimal clearly is... Yeah, and, like, even when he tries to get involved, she's, like, completely uninterested and unbothered by his opinion. So it is really about, like her grappling with what her friends, the black women around her, think about her relationship. Like, that's what she's really thinking about. And does it take place in Chicago? Is it? It is, isn't it? It's like the South Side. Yeah. Yes. It's like, uh, so I was thinking about it. um, I think it might be around Back of the Yards because they talk about meeting at 47th. Um. But that's another delight of rewatching this movie is just seeing Chicago's sights. Like, Derek takes Sarah, Julius Dallas's character's name is Sarah, and, like, Derek takes Sarah to see the Joffrey Ballet, and then they're walking along the Riverwalk downtown, and, like, they're on the L, and there's that perfect moment where he gets on the L just in time, you know, like, as the doors close. So it's also, like, an element of um, some nice Chicago nostalgia, too. What a romantic thing. The L. <laughs> JK, right now it's probably just like smelly and gross, but we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's like all of Chicago right now. Oh my gosh. The weather's nice right now. Yeah. It just yeah. rained, so it's pretty okay. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what happened to these people after this movie. Because this movie That's was- one of the things that say that's really actually frustrate or one of the things that so I think the movie had there are some ways in which the movie was never going to be progressive like the fact that they needed a damaged white girl to even hear the stories of all these black characters but there was there I feel like there was this potential for the movie to um like lift because like lift up um, black actors and performers and not just white ones. Um, 
which is what happens in most movies. But when you go back to that time, the only person who had a real career built off of this movie is Julia Stiles. Like Mm -hmm. Carrie Washington, it took another, you know, eight to ten years for her to get big. Nobody else in the movie had much of a film career after this. Mm -hmm. But what's kind of interesting is I'm looking at Julia Stiles' filmography right now, and relatively shortly after this movie, she delves into race issues again, kind of Shakespeare, definitely Shakespearean, yeah, race issues again with O. That's right, I forgot she was in O. Yeah, and I I love O. I love O. Well, that was like Julia Stiles was the go-to teen Shakespearean actress of the late 90s, early 2000s. It's true. But like, why do you think she went and like for something, I mean, I guess race in the 90s, was it as heated as it is now? Well, it was it was uncomplicated in the sense where it was it felt progressive if there was one or two side characters. Mm. Um, like the Gabrielle Union best friend character in like every mid-90s, early 2000s movies. And I reading Gabrielle Union's memoir was much more fascinating than I could have expected. Um, and part of it was her talking about that. And then you also think about the 90s, though, and into the mid-2000s was there was a clear division of much more so than now there was a clear division of particularly television shows and films directed towards black audiences and directed towards white audiences and this was one of the few that was like meant to bridge because if you think about shows like Moesha and Girlfriends and all the shows that were Mm. on UPN when WB Mm. and UPN combined into CW they essentially got rid of every black target like black audience targeted show they did and they yeah. replaced it with stuff like gossip girl oh which was like i so wonder like... if this movie was actually meant to bridge audiences though like it feel i think watching it it definitely feels like it was made for white audiences i think it was made because for... it was oh yeah but oh, i also sorry, have no 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 i think it i definitely made for white audiences but i think um white Hollywood producers realizing the box office returns on black movies in the 1990s and early 2000s would have wanted um, to like get, some of that get those revenues mm-hmm. and so viewed this as a in seemingly inoffensive way to target both black and white teen audiences. Mm. While still like being like, but it's okay to do whatever you want when you're white. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so she... She ends up in this high school because her mom dies, and she now has to stay with her dad. Yes, and her yes. parents split. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's no, there's really no reference in the film made to the fact that like her, her dad is living in a predominantly black, black neighborhood. neighborhood. Yeah, agreed. Um, and it's just that it's she, sort of vaguely explained because he's like a he's a musician. I think a musician, and like I just didn't have to worry. You know what I mean? Like didn't like take care of her at all and so it wasn't like I'm gonna go move to my segregated suburb or mm-hmm. but yeah it's not really explained why he lives there or how he lives there or if or he's like, in any way part of the community yeah <laughs> that would be fascinating because it doesn't really show if he has like friends or like neighbors that he's really close with well, yeah. the Sarah character is pitiable from the moment the film begins. It's oh, like for her sure. on the train and her alone. Oh and she looks really right. She looks really sad. She's misunderstood by her father, by her peers, mm-hmm. by the city itself, which is cold and unfeeling. Yeah. Everyone except yeah. Sean Patrick Thomas. 
who's yeah. so sexy in this movie. We need to, for a second, so, just okay. stop and say that. So sexy. Yeah, although Malachi, now, like, now looking back, I'm like, actually, I think Malachi is better looking. But Really? He's the, he's the, like, bad boyfriend that, so Derek's character, Derek, her love interest is the, like, Georgetown bound, like, I'm going to make it out, um, academic star. And then his best friend, um, is sort of cast as like his foil and he's like the bad guy. And I think he's hotter. He is pretty attractive. I don't think he's hot. At the time I was really into Derek. Well, cause he's a good guy and he's going to be a doctor graduating from Georgetown. These are all the things that matter when you're in high school. I think this movie came out when we were like when I, when we were in seventh grade, I remembered that because I went to go see it with friends and with different friends, mom didn't want us to see it because she read that there was like a very sexual dance and it was a dance that took place in the club. And is it a very sexual dance? Isn't it just no. like gyrating your hips? <laughs> but like for seventh grade in like 2001, I think it was. Oh. Yeah, back when kids didn't have YouTube, so we weren't watching, like, people having sex just all the time. You have no idea what these kids get into. I mean, you do. You're a middle school teacher. It was, honestly, though, the dance was tamer than, like, dirty dancing. Like, it was not. It was, like, a little bit of grinding, but that's it. But that's even one of those things, like, I go to these, like, Club 90s nightclubs Mm. in L.A., and they'll, like, show... Um, 90s music videos, they'll just project them on the wall, like, while different music is playing. And you look at some of the kind of outcry that happened for, for example, like, Britney Spears. And I remember Uh, there was outcry. Yes. The midriff and, like, what was she doing to morals. Or even you look at what the Spice Girls were wearing and how there was so much alarm and hysteria around that. And they were wearing, like, crop tops. And, like, posture wear those, like, little black dresses. But now, like, seven-year-olds are wearing those. Also, it looks like they're wearing so many clothes, comparatively. <laughs> this was also the era, the era of, like, the super baggy jeans. So it was all about, like, the little crop top, and then, like, your jeans were parachutes. Which, like, are, they which were. I actually think is making a comeback. Like, there, there are those things in the 90s that you thought were, like, no, this is, like, the one time in history it will be acceptable, and, like, they're coming <laughs> yeah. back. Including, like, the chokers. Like, the weird, like, super choke. The tattoo necklaces! Yeah. They're making a comeback. I've seen, like, college girls wear them. Oh, I live in Los Angeles. This has been, like, the past year and a half. Oh, nuts. Yeah. It's rough. It's rough. Things take a little longer to make it all the way out here. So, okay. If they were to remake Save the Last Dance, because we're, like, really into remakes right now, right? Just, like, Uh in general. How could they do it? Could they do it? Would it be socially acceptable and or responsible? I would honestly think that this would have more of a life as, like, a Broadway show in which, mm. like, a young person, young playwright, young composer who, like, this movie spoke to but, like, didn't see themselves represented well in it mm. would, like, redo it. And I could see this actually doing better on Broadway than as a remake of a film. Or, alternatively, uh. as a limited series, like, targeted towards teens on something like Netflix. Yeah. Oh and my be- gosh, I love that. <laughs> but, no, but think about, because th- it's so many other things that we talked about today that would need to be addressed. There's also, um, and if it's thinking about 
a high school on the south side in something like most shows now would include a wider array of diverse characters, mm-hmm. not just in terms of like racial diversity, but in terms of like gender identity, in terms of oh, sexual sure. orientation. And I, in the way that like Dear White People as a film didn't work, but does better as a television show because you can offer a more nuanced view. I think this is one where there's enough of a storyline, like the fact that an outsider goes to a school hooks up with someone who is also an outsider but is of the community. Like, that is an interesting story, but it just requires much more in detail. Yeah. How would they, how would you deal with the, I think one of the things I find most frustrating about the film is that Julia Stiles' character essentially gets to take what they refer to the whole movie as hip-hop, like, with no... Reference to hip hop's history or the many like subgenres of hip hop, just hip hop. But she essentially gets to take that, which was then and still is now like vilified, criminalized, um, like call you know, and she gets to take that and it gets her into Juilliard, right? You know, like how how do you, how do you? How do we make her cultural appropriation that is rewarded not be problematic? Yeah, like how would you tell how would you tell that how would you not how would you tell the story without rewarding that kind of appropriation or without addressing that like when white people access other cultures they can do so while like maintaining their white privilege like how how would you and use it for their advantage like use it to get ahead use it for their advantage yeah Hmm. I don't mm. I mean maybe yeah I don't know but I think I still think there is the there is a grain in there to discuss these dimensions like the only character we really see in the film questioning this and this is is Carrie Washington and it's only when she's frustrated by her own like it's easy enough in the film to brush it off because like oh yeah she brings up valid points but she's also in a bad mood because like she's Uh a teenage girl and she's a teen mom and like her baby daddy's not a great person so I think part of the failure of this film is that there's no way for it to be a valid... It's it's invalidated by the delivery. Yeah. Um, and I uh. think what television can do in a better way now than even film is allow for a larger conversation that, like, provides problematic viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, but also speaks truth in some way because even though we don't want it to be the to currently be the case there like it continues to be that people who benefit from white privilege can benefit from cultural appropriation and if that's built out over a series i right if you have more time to like kind of delve into that and have conversations about it yeah 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 and i mean that's a good point here's the thing i don't i mean so I'm going to bring Hamilton into this, but you know, like, is it in some ways like her last dance, like fusing hip hop and ballet kind of like Hamilton. And here's the thing, like the people who can afford to go to Hamilton are not like 
rap aficionados. They're like people like my dad, who I love dearly. Hi, Pops. He might be able to hear us. But you know what I'm talking about? And I don't necessarily know that it's a bad thing, even for the exposure. You know what I'm talking Like, I don't know. I think that's, like, interesting to, to deal with. Because... But, yeah. Yeah, and in a TV show, you could maybe present that as, like... You could present that with the context, with talking about... Um, why she can be accepted into Juilliard using hip hop, um, but it's a barrier for other, for black folks. And then you could talk about like, so what does accountability for her look like? Like what would she, what are her responsibilities? Who is she accountable to? And how does she need to? Yeah, what does she owe the community? It's her whiteness. Like what does she need to do to say I'm learning from hip hop. I'm growing from hip hop. I'm like Mm -hmm. expanding from hip hop and also like learning about hip hop leaves me with a responsibility because hip, yeah, because hip hop, if you're actually learning about hip hop, you are learning about resistance and racial justice and right. And she does. Yes. And the main thing is she doesn't learn about hip hop and she doesn't learn about resistance she learns about, like, tapping into her own sense of independence, which is, which is individual-focused rather than, like, community-oriented. Mm-hmm. And that therein lies the problem of the film, is that yeah. it's not, like, she, her, and if we even think about the medium of dance, her, she's benefiting as an individual person. It's not even her as part of... A larger community. Or like a more of a dance team. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's a very singular singular reward system. Right. Both in her personal and professional life. Right. I also feel like in a TV show you or like even just revisiting this movie, you could possibly have a different ending where she does use hip hop but like she doesn't get into Juilliard, you know? And then like what does she do with it that then? Or she realizes that Juilliard isn't her dream. That she'd rather go do something else. Or she sticks to ballet. Right. Right. I wonder, like, I mean, could you flip this? Could you have, like, a black male dancer trying to, like, learn ballet? And do we see that? No, we don't. We see Channing, Channing Tatum trying to learn ballet. Yeah. And step up. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I mean, speaking of dance movies. <laughs> <laughs> How can you not talk about step up when you're talking about dance movies. Yeah, what drew you to dance movies as a genre? Um, partly because I I think that like we that you and I Eleanor mm-hmm. had talked about step ups. Um, like the step up series, the step up. Oh yeah, I love them all. World. Step yeah. Up to the street, and so step like when I think of you, I think of step up. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, sure. But also when I did when I did think back to high school and like what movies really stuck with me. They were mostly Julia Stiles movies. It was like Ten Things I Hate About You, um, and Save the Last Dance. And I thought Save the Last Dance would be more interesting to dive into. Um, and it is. And it is. I mean, what was the yeah. other ballet, ballet movie? Center Stage. Center Stage. Where... Center Stage. Yeah. Also good. Also talks about race. 
Also talks about race. Also talks about a lot of eating disorders. Body That's, image. Yeah. Sexuality. Yeah. It's one of the few films of the teen films of the era that at least even acknowledge that not everyone might be straight. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Center States would be really... I should rewatch that, but it would be really fun to revisit. I Yeah, I need but to I revisit like, that, too. I feel like I was actually... Like, in terms of dance movies, like, it's Step Up. Like, the dan- like if you want a movie that is really about the dancing, it's Step Up. Like, Save the Last Dance was not as much about the dancing as I remembered. No, there's minimal dancing. It's like them after school and they're like working on chairs and they're doing like back and forth and she's learning how to move her shoulders and they dance in the club um but step up they spend a significant amount of time in the actual studio yeah and i think that's because channing tatum and jenna dewan tatum well no longer yeah it's done (sighs) um they were coming from a dance background right so they were probably able to do more than Julia Stiles. Okay, apologies to Julia Stiles if you're in fact like a world-renowned dancer, but yeah, didn't seem that way. Okay, so as we wrap up our discussion of Save the Last Dance, I mean we've kind of been talking about this the whole time, but Dara, you said you like the, this movie kind of sticks out to you as like a movie you watch in high school, junior high, that sort of thing. Would you suggest that like your students today watch this movie? I think with a critical perspective, yes. Okay. But I wouldn't just be like, it's a great movie. I believe in everything it said. You know, like, I think right. it would be it would be really fun to watch um, and talk about um, what, what the hidden messages are and if we agree with those messages. Mm-hmm. If I'm thinking about students. For sure. Eleanor? I think... I think I'd return to the critical viewpoint and think about it less as a text on early 2000s and more on a text on, like, how Shakespeare is misinterpreted or Mm. changed and, like, put it in comparison to other Romeo and Juliet stories, even if we think about, like, Romeo and Juliet and... Yeah, or Romeo plus Juliet. Yes, and for this one, like, how changing the context changes so much of the story and how there is like a can or or the conversation we had earlier I think students would get really into this idea of how do we discuss forbidden love or Mm. unrequited love Mm -hmm. like that's interesting Mm -hmm. but this movie itself isn't great and I think to Dara's point about like this isn't the best dance movie. Like, if you want to watch real dance movies, if you, like, especially now with YouTube, any, yeah. frequently I have a friend who sends me, like, British dance groups who dance to the Greatest Showman soundtrack. And if I want to watch great dancing, I should watch that. Eleanor loves the Greatest Showman more than anyone. I need to watch met. that. Oh my gosh, it's so Yeah, good. there are 11-year-olds on YouTube who would laugh at her, like, Juilliard entry choreography it was not impressive yeah yeah I think I mean same with you guys I think that this movie is like kind of fun it's definitely is like nostalgic for me so I would watch it um and I would force other people to watch it with me but like I also I also think this movie it, it kind of playing to your guys is um 
like thoughts about making it critical uh, and having a critical analysis of it with students or children. Like, I feel like this should be a movie watched by kids in high school. Like, I don't even know that like kids in junior high who are still like a little bit like nervous or whatever would like be able to have an open and honest conversation about it. Like they would need to. So I almost think high schoolers, but anyway. Okay. So Dara, we end our podcast here on good film hunting by talking about our pop culture moment of the week. So it's like anything. I'm so ready. Oh, good. (laughs) Go for it. Yeah. Um, Therese, Patricia, Como, I have been looking all day to figure out how to say her name, and that is what I've learned. I hope that I'm correct. (laughs) I really apologize, Therese. Um, It's really hard to find because, anyways, different news outlets say it differently, and I'm like, I want to hear someone who knows her say it. Anyways, Um, yeah, her protest at the Statue of Liberty um yesterday I'm not getting down until what did you say all the children are out of prison or all the children are free um that was that I was so excited about because I was feeling really weird not really weird I feel I usually feel pretty um pretty like uh fourth of July is kind of a shitty holiday um and oh man I swore I did so well so far (laughs) it's all good July is uh I think a a sort of holiday under false pretenses and I especially wasn't looking forward to it this year um and it just felt really good on 4th of July to hear about something that um I was really excited about and so she she's out there doing the work Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, active civic resistance and how that is patriotic in its own way. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yes, thank you. That was exactly what was. I yeah. could not say. Ugh, no. Something that is... But now she's in jail, so that's frustrating, but... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, apparently last Thursday, a bunch of people went to some senator's office in D.C. and, like, got arrested... But then they were, like, released. I know someone who did it. That was a really great really? story. Yeah. That was, like, a not story. So maybe she'll get out soon. I don't know. <laughs> My friends made it back to work in Chicago on Friday, so it couldn't have been too bad. Um, Eleanor? Okay. Well, the I this week I was doing a lot of catch-up reading of longer articles that I had been bookmarking. You know how that mm. happens where you get behind and you're like, this is an article I know I want to read. Mm. And one of the articles was from ProPublica, and it's called An Unbelievable Story of Rape. Have you heard of it? It's a Mm-mm. heavy read. Um, a lot. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> some of the writing reminded me of Michelle McNamara's... Um, Oh, shoot. What was the book that she wrote about the Golden State Killer? I don't know. Oh, um, I know what you're talking about. That I is a, the name. That is a tough... I'll be gone in the dark. <laughs> Thanks, that, Haley. <laughs> that's a tough read. Um, I could not read that book at nighttime. I could only read it in daylight. Um, but in this story, it covers this one girl who was 18 in 2008 living in Washington. And she had just graduated from foster care. And was raped, called the police, and then 
people she was close to, her foster family, and they started to cast doubt about her story. Mm. And so then she was actually tried and convicted of leading the police on. Shoot. And not defamation of character? Or because it was just an unnamed... Unnamed assailant. Um, Some guy just breaking into the house. Mm. And then four years later, two female prosecutors in different towns in Colorado found different rape cases that were very similar. So there were four in different counties in Colorado and they were able to catch the man who did that and then connect it back to the 2008 case. And it was just incredible to read this story of this this young girl, because she was the youngest of the victims by far, mm. and especially so vulnerable anyway because she had just graduated of the foster system yeah. and like sexually assaulted as a child. And how she had been like forced to recant her memories and then starting to question even her own really traumatic experience in a way that was similar. And it's a long article. It was, like, it takes about 55 minutes to read. It's almost like a novella um, in terms of length. But that was the most powerful (laughs) pop culture thing I've done this week. I'll send the article. I believe that. I've, I've seen this. I think there was also a podcast on it, right? Like, I think they talked about it briefly maybe on This American Life or something, but the art, and then, yeah, but the article goes into way more detail. It's a, yeah, it's such a, it's a, it's an unbelievable story. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. The world we live in today. Highly recommend, though. I would love to read that. Um, my pop culture thing of the week is something Eleanor made me listen to, and so I could go into a lot of, like, deep, dark stuff, but I'm going to choose something that's light. <laughs> I don't know. Like, so, well, one of the deep dark things is, like, my parents and I listened to an audiobook while we drove to and from um, D.C. about, like, Churchill and Dunkirk. And, like, it's all kind of dark because, like, really the French are really dumb. The French and English hate each other, so there's no communication. And, like, what's the result? Oh, like, a million people die. You know? So it's, like, real dumb. Um... But Eleanor made me listen to a podcast called A Very Fatal Murder, which is done by The Onion. Yeah, The Onion. The Onion. Um, And it was super funny. And I also really enjoyed my dad cackling to it. (laughs) He was so upset by it, but also thought it was super funny. It's a satire of stuff like Serial and S-Town. And it was hysterical Mm -hmm. listening to my dad listen to it because he thought he figured out the case. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he kept being like, obviously that guy did it. And we were like, Dad, this is fake. <laughs> so that was amazing. Um, and he would like fall asleep and then wake up and be like, they still haven't figured it out. And we were like, no. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. It is perfect. I ha- it's a good listen. It's, it is. It's, it's pretty quick, too. It doesn't take too long. Are you guys flying or driving to San Francisco? Flying? We are driving, but we're taking like two weeks and we're stopping in national parks and stuff, so it'll be cool. So you'll have lots of time to listen to podcasts. (laughs) I will be listening to so many podcasts. That's the dream. Um, Well, Eleanor, can you tell everyone where they can find us? 
Absolutely. So you can find Good Film Hunting on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. I'm going to be better at Instagram. Andy is going to be better at Instagram. I'm very good at the Facebook. You're, that's because you can schedule posts. Like, don't even... Sure. No. Yeah. With Instagram, you actually have to do it, and it's, like, so much harder. Okay. Your struggle is so real. Yeah. You can also email us, uh, and we would love to interact with you. So thank you today to our guest, Dara, and thank you to our producer, Haley, and we will see everyone soon. Bye! <laughs>